Welcome to the 531, where we debate a top 5 list on a particular subject, further discuss it down to a top 3, and then eventually settle on a top 1. Now after this beat, we'll get to today's subject. You have to be an AEW guy or a WWE guy or girl. You know what? You 100%. Watch, and, and just watch some fucking wrestling and enjoy it for what it is. You don't have to. Just because you like one doesn't mean you have to hate the other. 100%. Just, you know what? Don't watch that. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Watch what you like because there's a lot more to choose from now. Working Fans Podcast with AJ and Dave. And we got a special guest today. One half of the former NWA Tag Team Champions and part of the group Strictly Business, Mr. Royce Isaac. Royce, how are you, sir? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure, Royce. I think my co-host forgot to mention that also the future Crockett Cup winner for 2020. Hey. Just saying. No, I'm, I appreciate that we got to it eventually because that's definitely on the docket for sure, man. The, the Crockett Cup's coming up April 19th, so we are in wild card season, baby. I'm ready to have a big big year. Obviously, last year Crockett Cup was a coming out party of sorts for the wild cards. So I think this year, you know, onward and upward, we got to take the top home with us, baby. Yeah, you know, it's funny you talk about that. You know, obviously, you're a competitor, you're an athlete. Did I see you training with Josh Barnett? Yeah, man. So, I mean, the cool thing is, living in L.A. the past uh, two and a half years now, is he makes some pretty cool connections. I met Josh at a uh, suburban fight show. Uh, randomly, it was like after it was like after a GCW show, they had a suburban fight that ran directly after things that I was on. I met with KCB, who's a really good East Coast guy for GC Dub. And after the match, we were just talking and bullshitting. And I think it was one of those things where, you know, we, we got along. We, we trained together a couple times now. I have some elbow bursitis I'm dealing with, so I'm trying to heal up and whatever. But it's really cool anytime I get to learn from, like, a guy that's really, like, a master like that. And it's someone that's had such a storied career. Like, Josh is really, really cool. He actually referred me to the doctor that's helping with my elbow bursitis. So really legit, really good dude. I can't wait to train with him some more, too. Yeah, I have a, a shoot background from my college wrestling days, and I'd really, it's something that I enjoy, and uh, I'd like to get back to it. So. Well, people talk a lot about legitimate backgrounds, and the fact that you wrestled for Cornell out there in Iowa is absolutely incredible. Any of us that did amateur wrestling know that where you want to be is a state like Iowa or Minnesota, somewhere out there in the heartland where wrestling is God. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like, it's like you either want to be. In the Midwest, I think Iowa obviously has a long storied history, and it's gotten to the point now too, especially for uh, high school. And then now with Kale, with uh, Kale Sanderson for for college, Pennsylvania has gotten really really good as far as that goes as well. So it's like there there's a few really really good hot spots for people who can shoot really well and whatnot. It's really cool now that Josh has the the blood sport series that he's been doing that you know he's been able to showcase more like an old school hand crazed shoot style for pro wrestling because I definitely think there's an audience for that. Like, I really enjoy watching that kind of stuff. I'll still go back and watch old hand crazed matches and, and whatnot on the 
can watch them on YouTube and stuff. And so it's definitely a, uh, a different kind of spectacle that. Yeah, no, we're huge fans. We actually went to the blood sport where it was Barnett versus Minoru Suzuki. And, uh, oh, shit. yeah, just, uh, Great show, and I'm a big MMA fan too. Like I just watched, I think it was 248 this weekend. Oh god, the the Romero versus Adam Tire or whatever. That's yes, crazy. yes, the friggin' co-main event, the two uh, females fighting. The women tore it up, right? Oh man, that was one of the craziest. They fights. stole the show. Yeah. It, unbelievable damage yeah. done like I, I don't know if that that might be one of those things they say is a career shortener it was definitely yeah it, it was a crazy fight you, you, don't, you don't have too many of those in you kind of thing yeah right for sure. now as a competitor too i couldn't help but notice this on facebook i wanted to ask you i'm assuming this has to do with your lifting credentials but maybe you could clarify big bad deadlift daddy is that your nickname or is that <laughs> one of them <laughs> that is that is my nickname so i mean that all comes from i am I'm a huge Scott Steiner fan. I'm a shout out to Scott I know he's in the company right now. He had a health scare. But I grew up a Scott Steiner fan. Always been a big fan of Big Papa Pump. I mean, obviously, I did lift for the workout, you know, my own personal workouts and whatnot as well. But even outside of that, my one of my biggest moves in my arsenal has always been like my deadlift suplexes. And since that was something that I was kind of getting known for, it just made sense because I didn't want to. I didn't want to be like a small booty daddy. I mean, I'm one, I have a big butt, as we kind of weird, and two, I didn't want to completely, like, bite off his style or whatever, but I wanted to pay homage to the signer and kind of incorporate my own, you know, what would be my take on it, so... Big bad deadlift daddy is how that came into play. Royce, the first place I got a chance to really see you perform was Ship Ship Wrestling from Hollywood. And at that point, you had more of a almost Scott Steiner look with the bleach blonde hair and the goatee. But did working for Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, did that actually get you used to the studio, which seems more similar to what you're doing now with the NWA? Yeah, no, I definitely think that style, like, cause it, uh, a lot of people didn't don't don't realize that they had to watch Hollywood. It is filmed in that studio style. I think that really helped me be prepared for what a studio day would be like. I think that you know, getting to work with uh, various you know talented people on the way up there, like you know people like Bateman and Andy Brown, who's still there, is really really talented. Uh, super beneficial for me. It, yeah, but yeah, no, it was definitely it was, a, it was the same similar style. And, and I, I don't know if any, a lot of people really get that uh, on their come up in the Indies. It's like there's definitely a lot of places where you can get a really good match and some that can help you become a really good wrestler because maybe you're getting 20 or 30 minutes. But especially when you get to TV somewhere or you work for a big company, there might be times you have to realize how to like get yourself over but only wrestle for six to eight minutes. And Hollywood also really helps with that with you know, time constraints and hard cameras and all the kind of little extra stuff that they, that they don't always necessarily go over unless you have a really good trainer, you know? One of the matches that I'm going to recommend people go out and check out out there, anybody who's a fan of yours or a fan listening to this podcast right now, check out, I believe it's from 2018, you versus Joey Ryan. If they want to see how much, how good of a skill set you have and how great you are at selling and playing to the crowd, that match, I thought you were absolutely phenomenal. So I hope people go out and check that one out. I appreciate that. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that match too. I think Joey is, when Joey really wants to go and, and, and do his thing, like people forget he used to be Joey Ryan, the technical wizard. Joey's really good in that too. And, you know, everyone needs a good dance partner, so I, I got to give props to him as well. Another one, people like the blood and gore. Me and Bateman had a full rope match last year that's on YouTube in full. So I would really recommend that. And if people aren't familiar with Bateman, he, 
he got signed to Ring of Honor right around the, the same time that I started uh, really doing stuff heavily with NWA. So it was really cool to have like a really physical, bloody beatdown match with him for sure. So both of those are on YouTube, and I would I would recommend either one. Uh, if you're trying to check me out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because he's talking about the technical match, you're talking about the bloody match, and now, like, you're in Strictly Business, you're a serious performer, but you also kind of have this different thing going on with Mae Valentine and Sal, and it's interesting. It almost reminds me of, like, and no offense to Sal, like, I don't want to say he's playing George Steele, but, like, it reminds me of, like, the macho Elizabeth thing, and it's, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting, though, because it's, like, there's more versatility, it seems like, you're getting to do in, you know, different aspects of your character now evolving yeah yeah no i mean i really personally i find it a blessing that i've been able to show off more folds in in, in my character and what i can do in more range i think that only benefits me long term like i hope people can can see that and recognize that as well and hopefully they, hopefully uh they will over time i i think it's important to not just be one-dimensional like there's there should be like wrestling one of the greatest attributes to me is that it's like such a variety show that you get so, so much out of it and the more that I can contribute to that the happier kind of I'll be because I think that you know it's like like some people you never know what's going to stick with people obviously there's a lot of people that really enjoy good technical wrestling there's some people that want to see car crashes and whatever and there's some people that like you know I I remember so many of like the mid-card the local people from the Attitude Era and it has nothing to do with anything they were doing in the ring. It was because of vignettes and, you know, promos and whatever the interaction was between them and another mid-card. Like, that, that kind of stuff can be really memorable, too. And I think if you can show everything, no matter where you're at on the card, and luckily I'm in a place where I'm with Strictly Business, where, you know, the, the primo act and whatnot, but you can really show more value for yourself when, when you are in a, in a setting like that where you can show your range. Royce, we had on about a month ago, month and a half ago, we had a legend in Ricky Morton on, and he gave you one of the best compliments I think that you can give a fellow wrestler. And he said that wrestling you and Tom Latimer was basically like having a night off in the ring. And to hear <laughs> to hear a legend actually talk about you that way, that's got to be a cool thing. But what were your influences growing up, and what time period did you actually start really following wrestling? Well, yeah, I uh, just turned 31 in February, so I'm like, I'm an attitude era baby. Like, I came up when, you know, wrestling was really hitting its boom period. I was definitely more of a, a WWF guy than WCW, but I watched both products um, pretty regularly. You know, I, I, when I was a kid, I liked all the, the cool guys, all the Stone Cold, The Rock, you know, Mankind. I was like a big, obviously, Scott Steiner fan, big Booker T fan, Diamond Dallas Page all those kind of guys and then when it comes to like my own personal stuff I I kind of try to take from everywhere I never I think it's a real people do themselves a real disservice when you see someone and they're just doing like you can tell oh this guy is like a huge I don't know Johnny Gargano fan and they're just doing like a, a cosplay of him like Gargano's great man he's one of the best obviously he's amazing but like there's already him he's already doing himself so like you gotta find your own, your own style and your own voice and your own self. And if you take a little bit from here, a little bit from there, a little bit of everywhere, you can actually make your own original kind of potion and thing. And I think it's also important, especially for character kind of work, take stuff from outside of wrestling. Like, don't just try to be like, there are certainly elements of like Macho and Liz with 
me and Myra, especially with almost even the shoot relationship of, of Macho being so paranoid and whatever, but like there, you can always take from various forms of media and get influence from there. Like I've always been a really big fan of Jack Burton from uh, Big Trouble in Little China, the Kurt Russell character. Uh, like, I think there's something really, it's an amazing movie and it's something that really is easily, easily translatable to a face or a heel for that matter. Where I'm like a big fan of in the first Mortal Kombat movie, which is like super underrated as far as video game movies go. The second one kind of sucks, and I think that's partly why, but the first one was great. If you look at Johnny Cage's character in there, he's really good at breaking the fourth wall without breaking it too hard, kind of laughing at himself, but then when he needs to be taken seriously, he's taken seriously because there is that element of like wrestling can be haha and can be hunky and can be funny, but no matter who you are, you can never be taken seriously in the ring as a threat. Like, you kind of maximize your ceiling of where you can be. Yeah, there's a fine line between comedy wrestling and absurdity. And if you make yourself too much of a joke, then you're taken away from it. What, I, sure, or, or if you, uh, just not to get too sidetracked, but or if you do make yourself quite a bit of a joke, know when there's the moment that you have to turn it up a notch really show people, hey, I'm an ass kicker and I'm a serious threat. You have to take me seriously. And then you can go back to your stick and it's fine. Timing. I learned years ago, I wrestled, and I was taught by Adrian Street many years ago, because uh, I'm old, but um, one, of the things, one of the things that was amazing about Adrian was he took that really effeminate character, and it was a character where literally you would think anybody off the street would be able to just whoop the shit out of him, but when it came time to actually perform in the ring, he literally could maul anyone. So it, it's that finding that fine line and dancing it. Sure. Or like you look at like Aaron Stevens' early work as like Damien Sandow. He would be very like prim and proper. And like as soon as he took over though and he turned it up a notch, you would see a completely different side of him. We'd get really, really vicious for a second. You'd think, oh yeah, shit. Like he might have been popping around, you know, popping circumstance and kind of prancing around and doing his thing. But all of a sudden he got real serious and like, I feel a little uncomfortable now. And obviously, you know, I think what we see, we're just starting to see a little bit of that come out with Shooter Stevens with like the, the elbow attack that he did to uh, Trevor Murdoch. If you've been paying attention to that as well. But like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he's, he's showing that kind of like, okay, yeah, Shooter Stevens is a goofball. But if you mess with him, he can take it to another level and really, uh, uh, you know, elbow you in the face 300 times until you're not recognizable. I think anybody who learns that Mongovian Mongov- karate is going to be dangerous, though. That's the thing, yeah. Right. I'm not sure what the degree of black belt he is at this current time because I haven't talked to him in a few weeks. He might be, like, in the high 40s at this point. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to backtrack a little bit here because you had talked about some movies, and I have a new segment I'm doing, too, and I think you'd be kind of good for it. It's basically just asking you what your favorite stuff is. We do, like, five Random quick questions. You can elaborate or you can rapid fire. Either way. But I'll okay. start off with favorites. Favorite movie. Oh, favorite movie. I mean, Big Trouble Little China is definitely on like the top ten list for sure. Old Boy and Sympathy for Mr. Revenge are two uh, Korean flicks that I really like. I want they're, they're in the same series. They're by the same director. And they're both these kind of twisted stories of revenge that are really, really good. The Dirty Dozen is definitely on my list. I just gave you four, so we'll leave it at that. Awesome. That was a good list. <laughs> Favorite pizza? Pepperoni. You like, I, that's it. I'm sorry. Like, I know that's like really like basic B kind of stuff, but I feel like if you 
I'll do if you if you want to have any other meats on there and whatever. Like okay, okay, fine, we can do that. But if it's just me and I'm just eating for myself, basic pepperoni or like double pepperoni or like pepperoni double cheese or like double cheese double pepperoni. Any iteration of that is perfect. I don't think there's any like sometimes it's like that simplistic masterpiece that stuff. Royce, you're a genius because I piss my wife off with that every time I go out to get pizza. If she sends me out and doesn't tell me what kind, I'm coming home with pepperoni. (laughs) There you go. Favorite comedian? Oh, man. George Carlin and Dave Chappelle. I think they're probably like the, yeah. Excellent. Excellent fucking joy. I actually got to see Chappelle once about 10 years ago. I'm a vegan son. You managed to get my favorite comedian and his in the same (laughs) shot. There you go. There you go. All right. Oh, uh, yeah. Only two more. Favorite song? That's a really good question. Or, or band or uh, musician. Really big fan of uh, Copyright. He's this underground rapper from Ohio who, I don't know, was, I, he, he still does uh, he still does stuff, uh, but he's like a really good, like, punchline heavy, but also really good at um, layering and stuff and making songs that actually have really good meaning to whatever. He's been around forever. He's an underground guy. He's fucking dope. So, awesome. Yeah, Copyright. And last one, besides yourself, favorite wrestler? Uh, favorite wrestler, Scott Steiner or Dolph Ziggler. Oh, very good, very good. Dolph Ziggler, one of the most underrated wrestlers on the planet, in my opinion. I agree, and I agree. I think that there's a few times that he really could have uh, been given the ball and let run with it, but at the same time, it's really hot. Like, he was still a multiple-time world champion, so he had a great Survivor Series moment and all that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he still has had a really, really storied, amazingly long career. Mm. It, I, it's just someone that I think also he he could have definitely done even even more and you know it is what it is man I I hats off to him man he's a, he's a legend yeah. to me he's got that Mr. Perfect thing where he can't have a bad match so that makes him pliable yeah. to make everybody else look so good absolutely yes absolutely I agree with that now one other question you know you're in strictly business NWA faction with the heavyweight champion no obviously it's not like the four horsemen but it's a faction it kind of gives me memories of that just out of curiosity hypothetical fantasy booker if you could put a fourth guy with you besides i'm not discounting camille or anybody but you know besides latimer and aldis who would be another guy you think that might fit in that group hmm you know i don't want to do a disservice to camille i think she could beat up most guys out there so. agreed <laughs> I, 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 unfortunately i can't give you a good answer on that because i wouldn't you know i'd feel like i'd be disrespecting her because no 100 percent. she honestly might be the second toughest in our group behind nick being real. <laughs> yeah. All right, <laughs> Camille, it is beautiful. I go because she's wrestling next week. She's been more of like the she's bodyguard type. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, I yeah, said, no, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, see where that all goes because Camille uh, Camille's a force to be reckoned with, and I think I think the fans are really going to respond to that. And she, they've done such a great job, I think, with not letting her talk yet and kind of like keep like it's so intriguing to me the way they developed her. I saw a workout that she did with Latimer and with Braun Strowman. And I don't, I don't oh think, I don't think I would want to try to keep up with her in the gym. To be honest with you, <laughs> no, not at all. Not at oh. all. She's a beast. Crockett Cup's coming up. Is there anything uh, you want to promote out there? I mean, the biggest thing is Crockett Cup. Anyone's listening and they have not, they're not, you know, clued into to what it's all about. April nineteenth in College Park, Georgia. Tickets are on on sale right now at uh, nationalwrestlinglife.com slash pocket cup. If you go on my Instagram, you can find out more information about all that at Royce Isaac. I think right now, I'm not sure when this will air, but I know they're doing some like four pack deals on 
on uh, on tickets and all that stuff. I would definitely get on that ASAP. There's obviously also going to be an internet pay-per-view on Fight TV, so you can order it there if you know you're uh, worried about traveling around <laughs> during this uh, this time and, right. and going down to Georgia. Although Georgia's been fine, for, you know, Atlanta's been fine from all I can tell, so shouldn't be any problems flying there. I don't think, but. And like you talked about, if anybody listening to this is heading out to the Atlanta area, those four packs are actually four for $100. So it's only $25 a seat. That's pretty damn good for such yeah. a level of wrestling show. That's Yeah, yeah. they already just, like, on this last week of the power, they announced some of the talent. And it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that Bill and Inc. was going to be there, but I'm glad they are because obviously me and Tom want the, the rubber match there. And, uh I, I want to say Ray Horace, uh, you know, they, they have like some really good uh, announcements for, for the matches and for some of the, the, the talent that's going to be there already. You know, some a good NWA talent and also some really good Ring of Honor talent. And so like, to me, good clash of styles and it's our biggest NWA event yet. And I guarantee NWA's always done a really good job of under-promising, over-delivering on every pay-per-view, every taping that we've done. So there's definitely going to be some sick surprises for all the fans that put the faith in us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it also. I think the opportunity to get yourself and Flip Gordon in the same ring is uh, it could blow the roof off and could steal the show, to be honest with you. Yeah, man. Oh, uh, that man. was awesome. Royce, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate everything. We know that you're busy as can be out there. But please keep doing what you're doing, and thank you very much. Hey, thank you guys. I'm glad this was really easy to organize and a nice, good podcast that hopefully the fans uh, enjoy. And like Dave said, if you need anything, if you need us to put this on ahead of time to push anything for you or anything like that, please just let us know on Twitter and we'll do whatever it takes to help you out. And also, too, low-key, this is even, like, we haven't been planning this, but, like, you're, like, maybe the 7th or 8th NWA guy. Like, we love the NWA. Like, we've been interviewing as many NWA talents as we can get. So we're huge fans of the show and product, and we'll do anything to push what we can do. So. Hell yeah, that, that's what's up, man. Yeah, you just uh, definitely tag me on anything on like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. I'll share, repost, all that stuff. So hopefully we can get as many listeners as possible. Awesome, Th- man. Thank you very much, have Royce. A, have a great night. Have a great night. Yeah, see you guys later. Bye. You're doing the Kika Korov here, the Russian Nightmare. And you are listening to the Working Man Podcast. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Working Fans Podcast with Dave and AJ, and we got a special guest today, one of the NWA National Wrestling Alliance greats, guy I grew up on, I know AJ did as well, AJ's a huge marking <laughs> fan for this guy, by the way, former United States champion, Nikita Koloff. Nikita, thank you for joining us, sir. Great to be with you guys, happy new year, happy new decade. Yeah, absolutely, man. You also, sir. <laughs> yeah, as Dave was mentioning about me uh, marking out a little bit, I actually worked for a little while. I worked for 10 years, and I'm 6'3 and about 280 pounds, and you were by far my favorite wrestler when I was a kid. And while I didn't go in um, perform as Russian, I took a lot of my style and similarities in the ring to what you did. So thank you very much for that. Oh, well, certainly flattered by that, humbled by that. I, I, I appreciate it and I'm glad I could, you know, make, make that kind of impact. So thank you. Thank you guys for having me on, by the way, too. This is, this is the working fan. I like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah, we're always working. That's the that's the that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and working by me jobs, not trying to work the people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I hear you. 
<laughs> in wrestling, we do have that double meaning. <laughs> uh, yeah, ex- right, exactly, exactly. So anyway, that's well, good. So yeah, I wanted to ask you kind of a two-part. I, I know you're originally from Minnesota. So I wanted to ask you about breaking into business. And also, what is the deal with Minnesota? When I look you guys up, it's like Rick Rude, Road Warrior Hawk, Nikita Koloff, Barry Darso. Yeah. What's, what's going on? It's in the, wa- it's in the water. It's, it's, it's a high content of iron in the water. It's all iron heads. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, and you know, most most people, most fans, especially uh, if, if they don't like, not every. I'm surprised all of them don't know you know the whole Minnesota thing, but because they're like, man, your English is really improved. I'm like, yeah, good English tutoring. You know, that always helps. Uh, but, so yeah, the, in a nutshell, the, there is a pretty long list of, of Minnesota guys, uh, including the nature boy, Ric Flair, Roadway Animal, Hawk, or Henning, Rick Root. In fact, you know, some of the fans know, I mean, there were seven of us, from the, which is unusual, from the same high school, not the same college, not the same state, but the same high school, Robbinsdale High School, Ravishing Rick Root, Kurt Henning, Nikita Koloff, John Nord, Barry Garso, mm. Tom Saint, and the, the lesser known was Brady Boone. But yes. seven of us and five of us played on the same football team one year, and no, we did not have a good <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you you got to have coaching, too. You can't just have good skilled players. You got to have coaching. True. Um, and then my, you know, just real short, my, you know, my introduction to coach, hey, if people, by the way, want the full story, I, you know, I just uh, put a put a life story out there not long ago called Nikita, A Tale of the Ring and Redemption. It really goes into my full story and the history of professional wrestling back into the 1800s. Pretty fascinating. So oh. anyway, the short version of that is you know, I grew up dreaming of playing pro football. I mean, football was my passion. It was my love and weightlifting. And that, that's where I was focused. Some of the guys that got it, the guys I mentioned, I got into the wrestling business, and then one day I got a, after graduating college, training for a pro football trial, I got a random call from a guy named Road Warrior Animal, Mm. who, by the way, side note, I had recruited out of high school to come play college football with me, you know, didn't know him until I recruited him, and we became the the best of friends, and friends of the family, and so I got a random call from him, he shared a story how, how they were looking for something new in the Carolinas in the mid-Atlantic <laughs> and a big guy to be a partner for Ivan Koloff uh, legendary in the ring right Right, absolutely defeating Bruno San Martino and, and Madison Square Garden the whole deal I didn't grow up as a wrestling fan I really didn't know hardly any of the guys I knew Jesse Ventura is in college I trained at his gym uh, but and even that still wasn't really a wrestling fan. I just got to know Jesse, right? Right. And all that to say, Animal gave me Jim Crockett's phone number. I made the phone call, had a five-minute conversation, sight unseen. I'm sure he understood I had no amateur wrestling background and zero professional training, none. And he said that's what they said, be in my office on such and such a day. And I hung up the phone, and two months later, Drove into a city I'd never been, walked into a building, met a man I'd only talked to once for five minutes, introduced myself, and Nikita Koloff was born in the hallways of Charlotte, North Carolina that day. That's wow. incredible. 
Yeah, I, I was reading up on you, and I was like, <laughs> I'm glad you confirmed that. I'm like, it looks like this was his initial wrestling. Like, he didn't really have any prior, uh, like, a lot of None. territory, right? None. Yeah. None. No, zero. zero. I mean, <laughs> and, and they literally put me on, on, you did about six, seven hours of interviews. Now, of course, I'm from, I'm from Russia, right? Right. So, like, ah. Oh. So, <laughs> I'm not speaking any, so I just had to stand on the on the on the set with my shirt off, with chains around my neck, and look mean. Yeah. And then <laughs> we finished though, and he goes, "Hey, be in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow night. The Jordan Arena. You're gonna wrestle on television. I've never been in the ring. Oh my god. Right. <laughs> oh jeez. I'm wrestle on TV. Oh. <laughs> I I couldn't imagine yeah. that. I trained with Adrian Street down in um Florida, and you know, learned the fundamentals from him. And still, the first time I got in the ring, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was absolutely terrified because <laughs> all of a sudden you're out there and it's time to go tell a story and you're green as goose shit. So to be in front of all of those great fans in the Charlotte area and for your first match to be on television, my God. Hmm. Well, and, and, and combine that, you know, kind of looking back on it, I see now, but combine that with that night, the who, in that day, the who show professional wrestling was, I mean, Dusty, and these guys, some of these guys were, it was just a big, Four-hour taping they were doing. Some of the guys weren't even in the territory, but they had King Kong Bundy and Dusty mm. Rhodes, and Dream. They had Candelaria Hansen, Wonder Woman Daniel. I mean, legendary guys, right? Steamboat, Flair. Mm. I didn't know any of them. That's incredible. <laughs> and, and and eleven seconds later, I stepped into the ring, and, and eleven seconds later, I had my first win in professional wrestling. That was my debut to professional wrestling action. And, and of course, the cliche goes through the rest of the history. I still get into it on debates because we speak of that 11 seconds. My um, debate that I always get into people is people will talk about the best clotheslines in wrestling. And, of course, they mention Hanson and they mention a lot of different wrestlers. But to me, that Russian sickle by, by far blows away the other clotheslines. Well, it, it, it intentional. Intentional for it to be a slightly different. Knowing there are guys who did that prior to me, uh, you know, to my career, you know, and, and the idea of it came from the Russian flag with the, the sickle on, on the flag kind of cocked, right? You know, the, the shape of the sickle on the Russian right. flag. And so I thought, you know, I'll cock my arm like that. Uh, to, you know, I hit a pose and so they'll know it's coming and, and, and lay it in with some intensity, which I told every guy, I go, well, as you keep your chin up, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I just, I, I just say, keep your chin up. You'll be okay. It'll just, you know, but if you look down. I can't, I can't take responsibility for what will happen. You know what's funny? As we're talking about this, I was just thinking about this. One of the most shocking things I saw when I was a kid, and now <laughs> as an adult, i got to ask you, maybe you know where I'm going, is when you clothesline David Crockett. <laughs> because I'm watching that as a child. I'm like, David Crockett was just this nice interview guy, like me and Gene Oakwood. You never saw anybody take out the announcers and... The way you did sell the clothesline, too, like when you said cock back and this giant of a man, I'm six years old. This is horrifying. I, I just remember, like, I, I gotta ask him. This what? is where we were different kids. I thought David Crockett had it coming. <laughs> well, well, um, there's, you weren't alone in that. But. <laughs> there might be some more backstory. <laughs> Anyway, uh, but uh, so what's the question, though? Absolutely, I'm sure. 
<laughs> but how did that come about? They, uh, well, how did he take it? Was it okay? <laughs> well, truthfully, he didn't really have a choice. He was going down. And, uh, and in my mind, I thought, it's television. Right. Gotta look good. <laughs> As long as he kept his chin up. As long as he caught David, just keep your chin up. The thing is, he knew it was coming. He didn't know when. So that that's what made it look really honestly so realistic because he didn't know when it was coming. The, uh, on a serious note, you know, when, the way he, and he took the bump, he didn't really, again, he didn't really have a turn. He, he was going down. So the, the way he took the bump, though, one minute he's upright, the next minute you see you're seeing the soles on his shoes. You know, and, yeah. Uh, now, anyway. that, now that actually set up one of my favorite series of matches. That set up, I believe, the summer where you got where you went um, head to head at a lot of the Great American Bashes with Ric Flair, and yeah. those matches were just absolutely incredible. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And, and again, for being so such a rookie in the business, you know, hats off to the Nature Boy. I mean, I've said it once to see the hundred thousand times, you know, you can make a broomstick look good. He was just, he was just that good, and because uh, he made me look good, especially that very uh, that very first match at the Great American Bash. But yeah, that did said that was that was part of the plan was to because they were good friends and set that up, you know, to to get him to agree to sign a contract and for the heavy, heavyweight title, and, and that did lead to uh, a lot of a lot of really good matches that we had across the territory and. And certainly, to his credit, because I, I was still learning, still new, still limited on what I could do, but Rick being the master that he was, made those matches what they were. Now, I wonder, given the time period, too, something we were talking about, you hear it was a different era. <laughs> you know, people believe. Golden era. Yeah, call it the golden era. But I wonder, like, the heat, like the crowd, like, we heard stories of near riots. Like, was there... Any, like, crazy situations did you have to encounter with fans? I mean, you're a big man yep. at that time, too, especially. Yeah, oh. a couple, couple, couple quick stories. Uh, it wasn't unusual for Ivan and I, you know, death threats called into the wrestling office. You know, if the Colons come to Charleston and we're going to kill them, you know, Crockett's like, no worry, we'll, hey, guys, we'll just beef up security. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, and that particular time, that time, we actually had the sheriff meet us at the county line, escort us to the building, hang out with us, and, and, tell, and escort us back to the county line on the way out of town that night. But also, uh, starting with that first Great American Bash against Flair, six different matches, five against Flair, one against Magnum TA in Norfolk, Virginia, where fans were actually able to, they, they were, they got over the barrier, they got in the ring and huh. tried to come, tried to come after me. So I, I was uh, for sure loved to be hated. They loved to hate me. Yeah. As a side note to all the fans listening to this, if you for some reason think that it's a good idea to jump in the ring, especially with somebody the size of a Nikita Koloff, Mm. Please stay in your seat for your own safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and enjoy, enjoy the show, just, but, but don't be a part of it. I mean, we right. love you. <laughs> yeah. We love It's dangerous for everybody. Because you don't uh, know what you're all expecting all. at the other end, too. You have to do what you have to do. You don't know what this guy's coming in the ring to well, do. You, you, you don't. In fact, you know, now it's, it's changed some, but well, yeah. back in the day, Ole Anderson. Ole has a big scar uh, across kind of his chest stomach from a fan back in, uh, I, I want to say the 70s. 
Now, he's leaving the ring and pulls a knife out of his pocket, you know, and, and cut him. And he's got a scar there. You know, I mean, there's different things. I mean, the, the match against Magnum, I saw the, the guy coming in. I, I, it looked like he had some interference. I don't know. But now uh, he's, he's in the ring. I, you know, I'm going to i got to protect myself. I'm, I'm going to protect myself, right? Sure. One thing, it's funny we're talking about this. We have questions prepared, but then sometimes things will enter our head. And, like, one thing I'm thinking about, years later, I don't even know if AJ, we've been friends for, like, 25 years, and uh, we were watching some old Crockett footage, and this was probably back maybe 10, 15 years ago we were watching this. I remember seeing this. I didn't think of it as a kid. But, you know, you know what to look for, and you know what you think, but... It was the um, Crockett Cup Finals. It was you and Dusty, and Magnum TA comes out. And, yep. uh, man, that, I'm telling you, that embrace when you guys hugged, that felt real, man. <laughs> I mean, that, I yep. obviously got to feel like you guys might have been really close in the situation that went on, but that did not feel like something that was like a show. Yep. The, the, the story behind that is Magnum and I had a great working relationship uh, in, in the ring, it, but that is essentially where where it ended. A, a working, a, a, an excellent working relationship. Right. And when I came back to the tour in Japan, and I was in Philadelphia, and David Crockett, or excuse me, with Jimmy Crockett, and Dusty informed me of the accident. I, mean, I thought, you know, you, we were telling jokes about working earlier. I thought they were working. You know, like, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlotte went to the hospital to visit him because obviously we were nemesis in the ring, right? Right. And pretty key fave in those days. So I went to the hospital, visited him, and that began a lifelong friendship. So from working relationship to friendship, my heart just really went out to to him. And so that's why you would have involved me or you would have seen that embrace be real, not a show. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a heartbreaking moment. And it actually, like he, Dave was just talking about, it took you in a completely different direction. You went from being basically the ultimate heel to one of the biggest face turns in the history of wrestling. And people have a lot of turns that they remember now, but I don't think in the 80s there was a bigger face turn than when you joined Dusty Rhodes and became the um, superpowers. Did you have a preference of heel or face? I, I would say... I'm glad I got the opportunity for both sides of it. It's really, in a sense, I enjoyed both roles as far as that goes. So very thankful that I got to, to try both sides. And the way we did that, which you know, you, you guys all know, there's no way it was one of the best kept secrets in wrestling. That's why that's what made it so powerful right. and so impacting. Is no nobody knew. I mean, we all agreed. Jimmy and Dusty and I all agreed we weren't going to tell anybody. And there was a three week window in between there, and I continued to wrestle every night as a heel all the way up to that night. And and the way we we did it, and like I didn't say nothing even to Ivan. I didn't even say anything to Ivan. Nobody knew who his mystery partner was till I walked into the building an hour after matches started, and then they're like. Oh, you're his mystery partner. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and so again, the, the sense of, of realism of what happened that night, and the old expression of roof coming off the building when I tore into Ole Anderson, you know, was certainly a, a thrill and a memory to cherish for a long, long time. We're doing kind of an NWA theme coming up on our pod this week, and one of the guys we're supposed to be interviewing soon is Ricky Morton. And just kind of curious, given your background as a heel. 
at that time before, and Ricky kind of being, I think, the ultimate baby face of that era, really. What were yeah. your thoughts on working with Ricky? Oh, it was, uh, he, you know, once it's a night off, uh, you know, him and Robert both, I mean, you know, going back to 1985 when Ivan and I, you know, when they, when they won the World Tag Straps for the very first time ever, the NWA Straps, um, and, and, you know, handing, handing off the belts to them and, and uh, you know, having a, a small role in helping, you know, launch their career even higher. But it was like, it was it's so easy to work with, such a night off. And, and you might ask Ricky, there's a, he, I won't, I won't go into it. He tells it much better, but our first encounter with each other because of how, how, how green I was, I about knocked him out in the ring. You know, I'll let him, if you want, if you remember, I'll let him tell that story. I will. It's pretty funny. I will so, definitely ask that. <laughs> I'm excited yeah, to ask so, that. But, but yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was great to work with and just, just, just thrill about the you know extended uh, career that those guys have had. And kudos to them, you know. And now we've had a rebirth coming up of the NWA, and you've been on a couple of the shows for them for that, including recently helping to draw the names of the TV tournament. What's it like seeing the rebirth of the NWA? I love it. I love. I mean, when I went down to the studio a few weeks ago, you know, it's it's not Kenton Techwood, but a darn near. It's just four blocks away. So, and then. And then to walk in and just have that studio feel of that, those old days. I'm like a fan, you know? I'm like, oh my gosh. And then have the fans go, wow, this just takes me back when I was 10, when I was 12, when I was 8, you know? And then the response, I was, you know, just thrilled by, by the reception of my, uh, you know, my introduction that night, the response of the people. And so I love what, what Billy Corgan and, and Dave Lagan and these guys are doing. I hope they stick because it's so unique and different from anything else, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I really hope they, they stick to their guns and just continue on that path. I think they're going to, I think, they'll build a great following and let, let them just, uh, if they'll continue to, you know, produce uh, what they're producing. So I love it. And I'm, I'm in, I, like I said, I'm NWA for life. I mean, I know I did a little in the AWA, but that was kind of cool promotion, really. But so I did some other stuff, but, I, you know, through and through, NWA is where I got my break. I'm NWA for life, and it was fortunate in 2008 to, you know, be inducted into the NWA Hall of Fame. This is AJ again. I'm a lifelong NWA fan, and as Dave knows, when you came out just to draw the names for the TV tournament, you got a Road Warrior pop from me. But um, uh, thank you. I, I love seeing the fact that you stuck with the NWA and a little bit with the AWA because it would have been so easy, especially in your size, to be able to go to the WWF and make um, impact there. So to see the loyalty that you had to this day, it's one of the reasons why I'm still such a loyal fan to you. And I appreciate it. And that is really believe wholeheartedly. You know, let's mention the word loyalty. And I did, that is, uh, you know, people say, hey, you know, why didn't you go to the WWF or did Vince never approach you or whatever? The answer is no. No. I worked hard on the Russian Nightmare and the Kitty character. I worked hard on it. I lived it 24-7 for three years after I left wrestling and walked away from it. I still personified the asset and everything else to protect the business. And looking back, very grateful, thankful to Tim Crockett. I mean, I'm, not, I'm just down the road from... from from that office right now, literally, as we speak, from that office on South Boulevard where I walked in and got my big break. And so forever grateful to Jim Crockett, the Crockett family, the fan, the loyal NWA fans. And loyalty is, is a, 
I like to think is a strong suit of mine. I mean, I'm a very lucky. Look, I've been in I've been in Charlotte longer than I've been anywhere else, but I'm still uh, I'm still a loyal Minnesota Vikings fan, right? Minnesota <laughs> I haven't lived in Minnesota since 1984, but I'm still loyal, right? I'm still loyal. So, I, I understand that completely. WA. So everybody knows you uh, eventually retired. Kind of take us from your retirement to what you're doing now with the ministry and everything. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was interesting. Again, I walked away at the age of 33 under my own terms. Not a career-ending injury. Neurosurgeons in the MRIs that I had. However, they informed me of the the greater risk, uh, potential risk of, of more serious injuries. And I continued my career. That last match against Big Van Vader, where, where I injured my neck and end on a hernia. That hernia, that hernia oh. surgery. Jeez. You know? Yeah, I'm lifting up the, the 500 pound <laughs> That makes and, sense. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just, and, and when I broke in, I told Ivan and Don right from day one, I'm like, hey guys, I'll, I'll be out of active wrestling, active wrestling, you know, in the ring. By the time I'm 35, I'm like, ah, oh, for those like, that's what I was like, oh, I go, ah, let's just stop talking about it. I'll just show you, I guess. So I'm 33, you can write your 34, and, and I, I just like, uh, you know, by the time I rehab the surgery and my neck, and I'm like, why, why go back for like six months? Because like, I'm I'm walking away at 35 anyway. So I just say, you know what? I'm done. Hanging it up, I'm done. So I walked away on my own terms. Now, I'm certain of a future at that point, though, right? So I've had this wrestling career. I did open up some health clubs, you know, which was okay. But I'm like, I'm not going to do that the rest of my life. And then 11 months later, uh, the short version is 11 months later, I found myself in a, in a church in Concord, North Carolina. I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up around, you know, around religion or God. I mean, I believed in, in God. I just didn't know God. And it was on that day, 17 October 1993, that I had a, a genuine, real encounter with uh, with Jesus at, at an altar. And it, it, it changed my whole life. I, I went from what I feel was poverty as a kid to successful in wrestling to becoming fulfilled and then from there from that decision I was discipled for a handful of years and went out and got my hands dirty building some churches and foreign nations of foreign countries and, and Bible schools and stuff and then the Lord just began opening doors uh, and since that time fast forward to right now I've now ministered in approximately, preached in approximately 1,200 plus or minus churches. I just visited my 29th country. Mm. Wrestling is a, is, is a real draw on a platform, even for the ministry that, that God's now called me to. And one of my dear friends, who's become a dear friend, the total package, Lex Luger and I, have done tons of ministry together. In fact, we launched in 2019 a camp for men called, just called Man camp people can go on mancamp.info and and read about this camp that lex and i uh, have co-facilitated and, and, and so that's kind of a nutshell i uh, i missed all the, the books i've written so i've written three books and i'm working on a fourth so i just wow. throw that out there too so awesome yeah man. keep him busy yeah. <laughs> i i actually yeah, I, my dad used to say son you know i mean grass grow under your feet i said not if i can uh, not if i can help it dad not if i can help it so <laughs> I mentioned the one book, but yeah, three three books currently, and then and then I'm I'm working on a fourth book right now. So and can they get all of those books on Amazon? Yeah, you know what? You can find some of them, or they can just shoot a direct email to me through koloff dot 
O-R-G, co-op.org, K-O-L-O-F-F.org, so they can shoot me a direct email. What I do now is uh, most of the time I personalize. You know, they, if they order it from me directly, I ship it out uh, personalized to that individual or whoever they want it, you know, signed to and that sort of thing. So with two of them, the very first one I wrote, I'm actually reworking that one while while. Yeah, we we love to see the way, when you look at the way the Lord has worked through a lot of the wrestlers, the transformations that we've seen in some of the people, like you mentioned, Lex Luger, Ted DiBiase, when you see the way the Lord works sometimes, it's absolutely amazing the changes that it's made in some of these gentlemen's lives. Well, yes, and, and to that point, if, if the person out there even listening to your podcast asks, well, why? I mean, what, what's, what's the deal? Why? You know, Tully Blanchard, right? Tully's probably spoken over 2,000 prisons now, mm. right? Wow. Yeah, and, and so people are like, why? why? I mean, I invited Adam on Hawk to a, a, a big Christian Athletes Conference back in 2002. They came, a uh, pastor by the name of Jensen Franklin from Georgia was, was preaching. Hawk was the first one to the altar. A lot of people don't know this. First one to the altar, gave his life to Jesus. We baptized him in the pool there in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, that weekend. And I brought him on the road with me for a year and a half and discipled him and just poured into him with numerous phone calls and, and conversations about the Bible because he had all kinds of questions. And the, the, the short answer to that is, right? Sting's another one, right? So the short answer to that is these guys have reached the pinnacle of success, right? Sting, icon in the business, right? At, at his height, 400 companies making his likeness. But behind the scenes, Lex, Ted DiBiase, their life is shambles falling apart. Now, you wouldn't know that as a fan watching watching them on television. But they're like, and so they, they're successful, but again, like myself, unfulfilled. They're like, is this it? Is this all there is to life's journey? Uh, as life likes to say, all the baubles and trinkets and all that don't, don't add up at the end of the day when you feel still feel empty inside. And so what these guys realized was, no matter how successful I've become, I'm still unfulfilled and still empty. And, and what they found and what I found was the only thing that has filled that emptiness or that void was a personal relationship with Jesus, which is why you see the a number of these guys make that decision. And That's awesome. Nikita, uh, you've been really great to give us some time today. Is there anything else you want to talk about or promote before you go? You know what? You guys have been great. And I just say you know, to all the fans out there, a heartfelt thank you for, and you mentioned we'll use the word again, for being so loyal to wrestling. And all of you, and I mean this from the sincerity at uh, the bottom of my heart, I, would have had a career it hadn't been for you fans and so i do want to just make sure and acknowledge that and, you know if there's an interest as i said and you know grabbing a copy of, of one of my books so maybe you're a guy out there 18 years or older and, and you want to come to man camp and spend uh, a few days with with lex and i and, and where we can just pour into you and and help 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 you be healthier than you even are right now or move you along in your life journey then you know, go to one of two websites, go to mancamp.info, or you can go directly to co-op.org. Either one will, will get you all of that information. And I just appreciate you guys having me on. So Awesome. Thank you, man. Hey, quick question. Uh, if you could do us one solid, if you can't, it's no big deal. We were wondering if you could do us an audio drop, just basically something like, 
This is the Working Fans Podcast. Or this is Nikita Koloff. You're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Yeah, when you, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right, whenever you're ready. You're doing it, Nikita Koloff here, the Russian Nightmare. And you are listening to the Working Man Podcast. Stay tuned. There's more to come. Shut the window. Nikita, I'm so sorry. That was so perfect, but it was one problem. It's uh, it's working fans, not working mans. Yeah, but I'm Russian, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I, I was waiting for that. <laughs> it, it's not even sooner, so... Yeah, we'll just tell... Get the I did. Just have fun with it. It's just like, the accent. I agree. <laughs> All right. I agree. No, seriously, right? Is that okay? I, I agree 100%, Nikita, and I appreciate that. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, though, we left the guy to do a play where he can't even get it right. That's all right. <laughs> you know what? It's staying. That's the it's one. Staying. <laughs> Thank you very much. Normally Nikita. we would correct it, but that's the best answer I've heard ever. You're in. <laughs> It's staying. <laughs> uh, guys, you are awesome. I'm serious. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, let's, let, let's, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And God bless, Nikita. God bless. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Bobby Blaze, former Smoky Mountain Headway champion. And you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. The Working Fans Podcast with Joe and Dave. And today we got a guy who's competed for WWE, WCW. He's been in Japan. He's a former Smoky Mountain heavyweight champion. And he's about the second or third most famous guy from Ashland, Kentucky. Bobby Blaze. Bobby, how you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. Good to hear from you guys. Yeah, I'm probably the... Well, I don't know because that damn Billy Ray Cyrus, but at one point I was probably the second most famous person from Ashton, Kentucky. The first being Charles Manson. <laughs> what an honor. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I'm in good company with that, right? When I first had my try to smoke him out, that was the first thing I, I, I met for that several days. I tried it like, Bobby Gray is the second most famous man out of Ashton, Kentucky. The first being Charles Manson. That always stuck with me. That's a good intro, you know. <laughs> it's definitely memorable. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> How you guys doing, man? Oh, we're doing good. A little snow up here in Connecticut, but what do you want? It's Connecticut. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How are things out there? Well, actually, it's cold as a whore's heart, and we're getting just a little <laughs> bit of snow here and there, but uh, mostly just uh, rain at this point. Oh, good. <laughs> it's a little cold, and, uh, but hell, it's too simple. What do you expect? Right, right. right. Uh, yeah, right. Bobby, you were trained by Rick Newsom. What can you tell us about Rick? Okay, yeah, so I was trying to get into wrestling. You know, I've always been a fan, and at one point I decided that's what I want to do. I'd trying to break down doors, locking up doors, sending out letters and pictures. And I was just lifting weights, running, and had a little bit of wrestling training, this and that. And I went to an independent show, and I met a guy named Rick Newsom, who ended up being just a couple hours from me, and I'm here in Kentucky. And he said, yeah, I'll help you. I had went to the Monster Factory up in New Jersey for a couple of days just so I didn't try out or anything. But I went up there to get a feel for it, because I was one of the people that contacted me. <clears throat> had some other people contact me, but it was like too far from home kind of situation. And Rick, he just happened to live a couple hours from me and kind of took me under, like, I'll, I'll help you train your son. <laughs> and super great guy, uh, very successful in the law enforcement world. I'll leave it at that. He was had a very successful career. And in wrestling, he had been a bodybuilder, and he knew a lot about wrestling. And so he took me and 
We started training a little bit, just, you know, stand up and takes down. And then we got the ring eventually, you know. But it was, so with Rick, I, you know, nothing but respect for Rick. But sometimes Rick and I just kind of beat the crap out of each other, if you will. Uh, I did have uh, several matches with him, of course. Things changed as time went on as, as far as my training went. But it was a really good experience, and I really appreciate him breaking me in because I had my first match against him back on uh, September 11th, 1988, over a small town called Hayside, Virginia. And pretty much, just like I said, kind of beat the crap out of each other, you know, kicking, brawling, but some, I don't know, some rest, I don't, definitely no high spot, but um, yeah, you know, it's all good, and I, like you said, nothing but respect for Rick, and you know, kind of got my foot in the door, if you will, for what I thought I knew about professional wrestling. <laughs> Bobby, you went on there. Actually, you're the third guy that we've interviewed, Barry Horowitz and Bob Cook being the others, who went on to train with uh, Malenko's. Is that correct? Yes, it is, man. And uh, shout out to Bob Cook and uh, Barry Horowitz. Bob Cook, at one time when I first met him, he was introduced to me as Barry Horowitz. And I was like, the best professional wrestler in Florida. I mean, he was good, man. Bob Cook was good. And I was like, what? He used to. Yeah, I saw him. I went to a, uh, a, a championship wrestling Florida uh, taping and uh, show, and I don't know if it was taping, but a show anyway. And so we went to dinner after with me and, and X Pop One Two Three Kid, Sean Walton. Sean's who I hung out with a lot, and uh, we watched Bob work. And, and he looked at me, he goes, "Oh, you're the shit." And Sean went, "No, he's not. He's actually pretty good." And I was like, "Well, I hope no one ever calls my work the shit." But I'm like, "No, sir, I'm not." So I, you know, Bob's a good dude. The very I met, you know couple years later and uh, nothing but respect for those guys because we had a great not just a, a wrestling coach but he was he was a mentor to me with a teacher to me and he was he was pretty much like a father figure to me in my life uh, professor Boris Blanco was and uh, he trained he was just a really good trainer for you know for wrestling for professional style wrestling and also conditioning and, and you took away from it what you put into it and I I took a lot out of it because I put a lot into it because, I, you know, I, I, I was seeking his approval respect that if I'd done something, I was doing it good or doing it right, you know. And it was a great experience. And after a while, I was at the camp for about four months, so Dean came in and, and had a lot to do with my training as well. And Joe, his older son, had something to do with it at several points when he would come to the camp. So as I found out, like I said, I was writing those letters and seeing out publicity pictures, if you will, just the little addresses I had here and there. The Malenko school got a hold of me, but I so returned my you know, letter like, yeah, we have a camp this and that. And I will say that there was a man up in uh, Minnesota, Marvin Jones, was the one that kind of put me in touch with them. But on the, 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 word, the wording was, the Malenkos are the best craftsmen in the wrestling business. And I think that, that's what happened. They, they're such good craftsmen, I think I learned a crack from them, you know? The art of professional wrestling, if you will. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I was honored. It was I'm in a special class to to be I was trained by Professor Boris Malenko in a Malenko wrestling, you know. Yeah, I mean everybody that we've talked to has put them over big time. Bob has said that uh, he learned from the best. Barry said he learned from the best. And that's that's not a surprise. Everybody that I've heard in, in other interviews too have always put over the Malenkos as just being the best school you can go to. It was. And you know, I was I went there, uh, I was going down on weekends at first, maybe every other weekend and, and, and I was living up in Orlando, this is this was out in Tampa and I'd go and I'd do like a, a Saturday and a Sunday only training for about three or four I don't know, three or four months and then I the room opened up at camp and when I lived there I went four days a week for four months straight and then as I started traveling this and that I, I returned back to Florida 
and I ended up doing some training there and helping out with some of the younger guys. And I never saw anyone get hurt or get taken advantage of. They were such professionals. And I'm not saying injuries don't happen, you know, I'm just saying, but they're training those guys and the, and the trainers they had there, you know, there was never liberty's sake. They want to stop and show you the right way of things and, and things. And you just know at any minute they could stretch you, you know, six ways to Sunday and, or, you know, embarrass you or whatever or sit your ass down. <laughs> but it was so professional to have them take their time and say, hey, wait a minute, here's the way you do it. Now, I remember one time I was uh, in the ring with a guy and he kind of kneed me in, in the jaw a little bit. And I, I, it was like a uh, high knee lift or something. But when Dean, Dean was in the ring, he stopped it. He goes, Bobby, stay right here. And he's kind of showing that guy the steps. And I turned my head, you know, to see what Dean was doing. And he goes, no, just please, Bobby, stay right there. You gotta, he goes, I'm the least person here that you need to be worried about getting injured by in the ring. And I just, I had trusted him before that. But then I really trusted him because he just put me in position and showed the guy Here's what you're trying to do, but you're hitting him right up in his head. But the knee should come across his chest or something. Of course, with Dean doing it, you're like, so I just completely like, wow, how true. I tell people now, if I'm showing someone from the edge of the ring or I'm up standing on the ring for watching them, I, and I show myself, I'm the least person you need to worry about hurting you because I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to show you how to do it the right way. You know, if one of these young guys would say, well, what do you think about this? I'll say, well, slow your steps down or speed them up or whatever. Just something like that. But I never get that lesson like, hmm. Don't try to take liberties or take advantage of people or embarrass them, you know. That's not a way. You're not a good coach if you do that. And that, at that, at the Malenko's, they were excellent because they never did that to you. You right. know, I didn't did have any other people, and I, I respect that, too, that someone didn't get embarrassed, you know. But at any time, they could have, like I said, stretch your, <laughs> told you to get the hell out or whatever. <laughs> uh, they, they were very, very professional, you know. That's awesome. Uh, so I think, yeah, it was. From the way you're describing it, it's almost like the Malenkos were teaching a trade. And when we talked to Al Snow, he actually talked about getting his school set up where it's an accredited trade school, almost teaching wrestling. Did the Malenkos kind of teach a trade, you think, to their students? I do. I think so. I think that's a good way to put that. And uh, shout out to Al, man. I like when he's doing that in Ohio Valley. I don't know how that would how that would work, but with the with thing the way things are, I can see that happening. That you're actually learning a trade, you know, like any other trade. And I'd like to see it because if you, I don't again, I mean, like how it be accredited. That's a great idea, especially if you have a system in place like the Malenkos did. You know, you just didn't start off with suplex in the first day. And I've heard of people doing that, and they start running the ropes and. You know, get hit with two by fours and they think they saw the truth. And knowing Al and knowing how talented he is and, and how disciplined he is in, in teaching, I, I, yeah, I would think that'd be great. I think the Malenkos, that's what they had. They they eventually, when I went, it was just, you know, Malenkos Wrestling School or whatever. It became, after within a couple of years of being there, they moved to a different location and actually became, you know, the Malenko Wrestling Academy. Again, not, not accredited at that time by you know, colleges or something, or a trade school. But, uh, yeah, I think that's what they had. They had such a good system in place. You start at point A, go to point B, and, and learn a system or a trade because they, you know, taught you about doing bookings or taking bookings. And, uh, and you know, we did everything from, you know, learning to set up the ring to to uh, interviews, how to, you know, how to speak Malenko. Was a, you know, even Terry Funka says Malenko is one of the greatest all-time, you know, promo guys and so you know he would sit there and tell you like you know just he wouldn't put words in your mouth he'd say you know here's the, here's the emotion behind that think about what you're doing and 
and where you're going with it. So yeah, I can see that just like um, at the uh, performance center, I guess. You know, you have you can have classes on your promos, have classes on, you know, the basics to advance. I think that's a great idea, and I wish Al the best of luck because I do tell these young guys, if you're ever getting into professional wrestling business, get trained by someone that's been there and done it. Don't just say, like I did kind of at the beginning, I just jumped in like, I'm going to be a wrestler, you know, kind of thing, but it was harder to do. But like I said, I had about 10 or 12 matches. It took me some time to realize that, oh, wait a minute here. This is a business. So that's why I decided to move to Tampa and go to a, a training academy, if you will, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's a great idea. I wish him luck. If I remember correctly. Young wrestler out there, get trained by someone good that knows what the hell they're doing. <laughs> if I remember correctly from your book, you kind of said that, Malenko approached training as he would teach you conditioning, then he would teach you wrestling, and then he would teach you to make money. Because you gotta learn the steps to be able to make money from it, not just graduate to that point. Right, yeah, and that's why, that's why I was getting at There's a system in place there. Some people that, you know, went to Malenko, they may not want to just the conditioning, or they, they just want to be a superstar overnight or what have you, but, but I, when I went to it, what I did, I was, I was in pretty good shape, or so I thought, and I was built pretty good, or so I thought, but I, but I wasn't in wrestling condition. And I, I was like, oh, okay. And so we, we went out, and we, uh, I remember the first time I did it was with, uh, Sean Walton. We'd done some, uh, Malenko, how you do these hit them once. Uh, it was hot, it was August in Tampa, and you do like 10 Hindu squats, one push up, and you build a ladder to where, when you're done, you've done like 110 push ups, 110 Hindu squats. But yeah, I, I basically signed up for the whole deal because after my first time, like I said, I went down and I had about 10 or 12 matches. He said, Bobby, I, we went and we talked for a few minutes. He said, I want you to forget everything you need, think you know about professional wrestling and let me start you from square one. So when I signed up, I wanted everything from the, the conditioning to the wrestling to the, uh, you know, keep learning about getting bookings and then get myself booked out to different places, you know. And because I got to travel all over the world, but the conditioning part, yeah. And again, I was kind of seeking out male approval, I guess, with a father figure in Malenko, and I, I gyrated towards that. So he, I had no problem if he said, you know, well, I know another buddy of mine, he said, before, I won't train you until you can do 500 straight Hindu squats, but who was a friend of mine, he, that was what Malenko prescribed to him, if you will. Me, he started me even before that, because I could, you know, it was all I could do to finish the 10 of ones, which is for beginners. To where I got to where I could do 500 Hindu squats and, and do the three-minute neck bridges and the 100 Hindu push-ups and, and all those different things because I was conditioned to do that. You know, had nothing to do with weightlifting or running. or It was all geared towards wrestling. And then on a mat wrestling, yeah, you could be tough for this and that, but learning how to an amateur wrestler then also learning, oh, man, so it could hook you down or lock you on. It kind of what you see nowadays with the MMA, a whole mixture of things to where then you come up and start like, even though you ran the ropes and, you know, you got the mess around with headlocks and hammerlocks and that, switches and all the chain wrestling, then you started running the ropes and that in spots. And it just, I just kind of went from the bottom up. And, and I saw the people that come in, you had a lot more experience that started at another level, you know. It was great for me. And I started, like I said, he asked to start from square one, and I did, man. Before we move on from the Malenkos, one more thing I wanted to ask you. Any advice that you still get from to this day, whether it was in wrestling or in life, that uh, you still use from the Malenkos? Because I know you talk about the Malenkoisms, and uh, I'm just kind of uh, curious. Yeah. yeah, curious about some yeah, stuff you maybe good, still keep. Yeah. Yep. Good question. Like, you know, he always, always said stuff like, you know, the eyes are mirror of your life. You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, just pay attention to what's going on around you. And then if you had an uh, upper body injury, one of the things you would tell you is like, uh, 
all his pulls, you know, that was the cure off for everything. He just pulled that ball down for a light weight. So he had all these different things. I'm trying to think of uh, just, oh, man, I, I, if I think of something, I'll come back to it. I apologize. That's all right. I mean, you guys always worked out a lot and kept in shape, too. I mean, oh, so, my God, I'm, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, the workout. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> it was on my tongue. Yeah, so he had a thing on his business card that said life is movement and movement is life. But, yeah, so, man, I just got fucked up just now. <laughs> uh, he, he, one of his sayings was, and I, uh, let me, so you can edit that if you have to, but here's what he, I am at the age right now that when I that when I met Malenko, he was at, that, at this age. And this has become more and more true for me. I've noticed this just in the last couple of years, especially this year. He had a saying, young men should work out. Old men must. And that's probably the one that stuck with me because I'm the old man now and I must work out. But I've got to go hmm. either for a walk or go to the gym at least every other day. I'm doing something every day whereas I had some stuff happening and I didn't, I wasn't able to do some of the things I was used to doing. And man, I realized, wow, that movement of just, you know, yeah, I'm the old man. So <laughs> young men should work out. Old men must. And I'm one of the old men. So <laughs> I either go walk or I run a stationary bike and I, you know, do lap pull down stuff and, and, and do some, you know, lunges and the deep knee bends and, and what I can. I can't go down, go down as far as I used to, but yeah, I still do the Hindu squat. And, uh, yeah, that was a good melancholism right there. So there you go. Awesome. Bob Cook talks a lot about putting in the work at this age and not always enjoying it, but needing to. And it almost seems like Malenko instilled that into you guys. And you're almost yeah. just living his advice to this day. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, it's like, I just was like, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. Of course, he works out. And uh, he was just talking about this in his podcast last week there, probably like Sunday or Monday. He was talking about how some days you just don't want to work out. And some days he hated to go out for his run or what he was going to particularly do that day. He said, but when you're done, you feel so much better. And that's the thing with me with this movement. You know, I started back with a pretty good regimen at the beginning of this year. I started getting into a groove again. I started hitting in about April. And I was like, oh, this is, and I'm not, today being so cold, like you don't want to do it. But you know what? When you get done, you're so glad at the end of the day that you went and put the work in. Again, whether it be a 30 or 45 minute bike ride one day, the next day maybe you're just using a treadmill. Maybe another day, not this month, but last month, I was still going to walk outside some and go to the gym and stretch. Stretching, I've learned that just the stretching is very important. And there's some days you just don't want to do this, but guess what? You better do it. But when you're done, you do feel so much better. <laughs> you, you feel like you have that sense of accomplishment, like you've done something that day, and your body feels that much better. Even though you're, like, trying to grind it out, you're like, man, you might think it sucks. But when you get through with whatever's on that paper or whatever you know you're going to go down in that workout and do that day, it's better for you, and I'm so glad that wasn't still to me. But I always played sports and stayed in pretty good shape, and this and that, but it wasn't until I got a little bit older, I was like, those lessons, like I said, young men should work out, old men must, those lessons are now the ones I have to live by. I must work out, and I know that. I was watching uh, your YouTube series, Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. Awesome stuff. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. You were doing uh, legit badasses, really good stuff in there. And you had mentioned Rogan, and I know Rogan does MMA and commentates on UFC and stuff. And that got me wondering, like, not in a bad way, but like maybe in a good way. Did you ever have a guy that you wrestled who was like super physical, like snug? Not would hurt you, but like every time you wrestled him, you're like, you know, it was going to be a tough but a, a snug match. Is there someone in particular? From, from just having that training, and, and I didn't mind the, the working of, you know, being snug or strong style, what do you want to call it? Because, you know, even in Japan, maybe working snug with it, I like that. Yeah. But, yeah, 
uh, you know, I got to wrestle Dan Severn, you know, a couple times, and thankfully that was a gentleman's agreement. And that's on that YouTube <laughs> channel also at yes. tinyurl.com slash video. But all the just tough guys, you know, we we put them guys on there. I, I, I didn't get in the ring with like a Ming or a Barbarian. Mm. I saw what those guys would do. But probably for me, like Scott Flash Norton, man, he's just a big, strong guy. When I got to wrestle him there when, you know, not taping stuff, I was like, oh, man, he's so big and strong. And just he, he really is. Mike Enos, too, just them big, something about them big powerlifting Minnesota guys. You right. Know, they took care of me, man. They, they would throw me wherever. Thankfully, like with John, Scott, that was Norton, rather. He just said, you know, I'm going to be stiff out there. And I'm like, yes, it's all, don't worry about it. You know, it's good. I understood that, you know. We got behind the curtain. I was waiting on him because I was like, he really took care of me. And he was like, man, that's the best match I've had since I've been here in two years, you know. And he was one of them guys that worked, you know, snug or what have you. But it didn't bother me. I respected that in that guy, you know what I'm saying? No, it didn't bother me, but I... I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say it must have been something about that Minnesota water, right? Because those, <laughs> those, I think the Road Warriors, Rick yeah. Rude. Yeah, I saw a Road Warrior shoot Barry Horace off one time at the court. I was black and I was at a WWF at the time taping, and it looked like I mean, I know Barry was like he could, do, he, you know, he could work. He could take his own butt, but man, it looked, it looked like one of them shoved him so damn hard that it's going to just keep on going like the old cartoons where <laughs> the ring ropes come out in 3D. I thought he was going out to the fucking front row just hitting the ropes they shot him off. <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's that Minnesota water, I guess. I met a person, he was a doctor. I don't know how long he lived in Nashville, but I was at a gym. This has been, oh, 10 or 12 years ago. And he was a big old guy, and I started talking to him, but come to find out he was a doctor. And the thing, he was like, well, I found you as a wrestler. I, I didn't know he was a doctor, but it's one of those things you just, you know, as you see each other at the gym, come to find out he's from Minnesota. Oh, <laughs> 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 he's so damn big, man, because he was just a big, he, was, he had been a pirate when he was younger. And I was like, it, it stayed with him. I was like, holy shit, but he knew who to roll your warriors and Rude and all those guys were obviously, you know, but I was like, damn, man. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I saw on uh, your Bell to Bell was a match you had with Chris Benoit on uh, WCW Saturday night. Where uh, Benoit put it over, it was one of the best matches ever had, and uh, it was just basically a situation where I think Mongo uh, wasn't familiar with your work, and he didn't really want to work for you, work with you, and Benoit was going over the match, and you guys worked really snug, but it had a great match, and it got really over very well. Do you have a favorite opponent in particular? That's something I was kind of wondering. I, I worked with Chris several times, and I liked every match I had with him. That was the first time I actually worked worked with him. Yeah, someone just asked me about that match yesterday at the gym, actually. But yeah, the way that happened was, the, the best thing about that match was a year later, I was walking into a building and Norma Smiley was there. He goes, hey, Bob, we had, well, we had trapped, we had been eating together, we walked outside. He goes, Bob, isn't this the building you and Ben Wallace had a great match out last year? And I was like, you remember that? He goes, I always remember the best match on every card. That, that made me feel really good, because mm. I knew it was a good match. I guess so, the, the board before it went up, uh, Mongo, they had me against Mongo. This is back when he was in the, the horseman thing. And, man, first of all, the guy played 15 years in the fucking NFL on a Super Bowl championship <laughs> team. It's not going to be taken lightly. You know, he's, he could rip your fucking head. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, uh, apparently, in the, uh, the meeting, the, the war room or whatever, I guess he thought, you know, well, this Bobby Blaze kid, you know, he, he can't keep up with me or, you know, too small, whatever it is. I don't know what, what he thought or whatever. He spoke up and said something. And, and Chris looked at him, and that just went off through Ben Walker. I had been in Australia with him. I knew him from Canada, this guy. We worked together. So I knew his name from Dean, you know, from being in Tampa. Yeah, so Chris and I knew each other. And I guess it just went off through Chris because he knew I could work. And he just come right to me and said, Bobby, here. 
I didn't know it at the time. Any of the other stuff with Mongo had happened. And so Chris said, come here. And he just, it got intense. We were staying, we were in the dressing room just kind of going over a couple things quick. And I remember Dean and Eddie looking over and Dean walking over going, are you guys over here shooting? What are you all right? And we both got his list. I was listening to Chris like, and, and Chris was like, yeah, and I was like, everything's good. And so we hit the ring. We just went at it, man. You know, we worked really snug. Pretty much the only thing I knew was the finish, you know, it's going to be the, the you know, the crypt, the crypt cross face or what have you. The only thing I said in the ring, basically, he said, when I bid you over, I'm going to be throwing knees at your face, so cover up. And the only thing I remember in that match as far as something calm, he probably thought about back to the head knees, and I need to just cover my face up because the fury of knees were coming. And they did, but I was protected, you know? Yeah. And yeah. other than that, we just, we worked and went to the finish. Everything else was like, go, go, go. Yeah, so uh, over in Japan, great Sasuke. I got to work with him, and he was just a pleasure to be in a ring with. He owned the company. He's main event, and he worked, you know, for New Japan and, and FMW, and, you know, on the, on the company, here he is. I get to work with him. I remember working a main event with him in his hometown one time for the, you know, that title he had. And, man, it was just a pleasure to be with him. I had several matches with him with Robbie Brookside. I enjoyed working with Robbie Brookside. We, I was there for about a month one year. It was just, you know, some of those guys that are, that are worldly known, you're just, you know, you can have a good matches. My favorite, probably my all-time favorite opponent is probably the late Chris Candido. We were both young, athletic, uh, had a lot of different ideas that, that was all geared towards you know, professional wrestling though. You know, like we had different ideas, but it all evolved around wrestling. Like, I like this part. He liked this part. And that became probably my all time favorite opponent, you know, to answer your question. Yeah. And I hope that leads somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, what other thing we were kind of wondering about, you know, favorite opponents, the camaraderie. What about, like, maybe any favorite road stories that obviously did you feel comfortable telling? Because we know, we know how road stories can be sometimes, too. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know, like, things happen sometimes out on the road, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could tell, you know, there's the shooter shooter that, you know, hit the other pot. Oh, yes. Shooter shooter. We, we were going to go there anyway. We could go there now. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I mean, that's kind of like, oh, there was this. So, yeah, I don't I was over in Australia way back in the day and whatever, you know, but those things happen, whatever. <laughs> and I guess, and soon, for the last two or three years, a friend of mine, Rod, Rod Hicks, he went to WrestleMania, when he wrestled, okay, Sue comes over, she's still a huge fan of professional wrestling, and he'll, like, Mania, I think the last two or three Manias, he sent me a picture of him and Sue together, and she goes, oh, tell Bobby Harrell, you know, Bobby, it's lovely to hear from you, just via text, you might be standing right there, so, shout out to her, but the character Sue is Shooter too, so <laughs> I'm not trying to disrespect the human being, but, you know, she's admittedly an open ring rat, you know, yep. back in the day, that was her deal, and so, I guess she, well, I don't guess, I know she done this interview and had this in a, in a mainstream magazine of all the guys she had been with, <laughs> so I was supposed to be the last American or last guy she had been with, like, back in the day, <laughs> And I'm like, I wasn't with you. It's a fucking blowjob. It's, it's a <laughs> don't count as a blowjob. Whatever. But yeah. Anyway, on the show five, I guess, they come across it. Someone sent it in, and then Cornette comes over, and it's, it's Brian and Jimmy, Jim on there going, they're reading the, the story, and then Brian's like, you know, and then, that was your champion. <laughs> and so that kind of let the cat out of the bag. But I knew that article came out like about 98 or so, because one of my buddies from Australia called me. It was read it to me, and I, and I, I was like, uh, you know, just a few years removed from my incident or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where um, 
I'm like, oh, fuck, man. It eventually recirculated again. So I knew it was floating around out there somewhere. Good on her, and I'm glad, you know, she had her, it was a documentary. I guess they're taking it down now, but yeah, she had a whole show about all the people. I'm like, okay. Please listen, just listen, I guess, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was actually familiar with Sue the Shooter from the 605 podcast, so that's funny to hear you put it all together. I had actually read your book, uh, Pin Me, Pay Me, and I kept Dave in the dark about something. Can you enlighten Dave about the three P's of professional wrestling? Oh, man. Yeah, I guess I have to go ahead and say. Bill's <laughs> pot and pussy. Okay? Ah, all right. I told him pussy would be one of them. <laughs> well, you figured there's three P's of professional wrestling, <laughs> and, and I, I hope people do take that for great assault, you know, about the tragedy and stuff that's oh, yeah. Now, I had actually Uh, brought it up because I was heavily recommending your book today, Pin Me, Pay Me, and then there's the other one that I haven't read yet, but I will be getting on Amazon. What was it like to write a book and actually put your stories out there? Oh, first of all, thanks for reading the book, and uh, yeah, I appreciate it. What happened was, it's just like we're talking right now, you probably feel like I'm there with you, you're here with me or whatever. Just, you know. Definitely. Like, yeah. Maybe having a beer after the matches or maybe you'd be at your house just watching football one Sunday and just talking or whatever or be at the bar with your buddy. And, and so what, what happened was, it seemed like they were, and I didn't really, I hadn't been out for a while. Like, I don't go out a lot, but I'm just saying, like, just go out to, like, someone's house to watch football. Or even, like, I went to Kentucky Derby one year just to, just to watch the horse race at, you know, like a derby party. Everywhere I'd go out to, or like even a local high school football game, what have you, someone would say, man, did you ever wrestle this guy? And they'd bring up something, or do you know so-and-so? And so what happened, I just kept thinking, everyone, everywhere I go, people want to know a story. So I started coming home, when I came home, I started writing down, I had six of them. So this is kind of where I started at. Someone asked me about Dan Severn. And they had actually seen the match, and I was surprised because this was, again, several years ago, and I was like, so I came home and wrote about that match after that evening. And then someone asked me about Piper, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've wrestled Piper, you know. And so I just was like, started putting things together, and I had these all these little notes, and I just started like, okay. And one of my buddies one day were coming home, I don't know, we've been to a ball game or something, and, and uh, I'd always wanted to write a book, but I really hadn't thought, thought much about it. And he would drop me off, and he said, man, you really need to write a book. Because we'd been to one of them ball games and stuff where a bunch of people, you know, come around me and say, hey, have you, you know, I start telling wrestling stories. And that's how it becomes. I mean, and then the second one, I just went back and was like, okay, here's some things that, you know, some other stories. And maybe creative liberties were taken. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So my second book's called I Kicked Out on Two, The Educational Wrestler. And it's available on Amazon. I I appreciate anyone out there gets a copy. Uh, Leave a review. I appreciate reviews. Good, bad, or indifferent. All reviews help independent authors. Let me just throw this out to you. You can get pin me, pay me at just go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 or get I kicked out on two at tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 or just go to Amazon and get them. I appreciate it. You can download them. There are ebooks also. 
But yeah, that's how I wrote it. Just and I've got some stories I hope to share. And a lot of this is going to be about podcast of what's going on the last couple of years since I've written my last book. So I, I, I am working on a third, and, and there's going to be some stuff about podcasts and the ones I appeared on. So I have to put you guys over to Working Fans Podcast. Uh, nice. Goddamn right, you. Bobby. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, uh, and what I'm thinking about, follow me at Twitter at BobbyBlaze744. That's the only social media I use. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on. I, if you go to the YouTube channel and comment, that's great. If you go to the Facebook group and comment, that's great. I do get some of those uh, texts. Who does our graphics and does YouTube channel? I appreciate that. Jeremy, my co-host on the Bell to Bell podcast, I appreciate when those send me those things. But I'm only on Twitter, and I love interacting on Twitter. But that's just my choice for now, uh, you know. And yeah. But that's how I started the, the book. So this, this next one is kind of going to be mentioning podcasts and maybe a shooter shooter story, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> one of those things people have always asked me about. Kind of tied all together with people that may not be listening to this podcast or not listening to my podcast or, or live in a cave somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we wanted to ask you about, I was told to ask you about this in particular. Is it a work? <laughs> of course it's a work. What are you fucking more? It's all a work. I was kind of waiting for that question. Yes, it's all a work. <laughs> yeah. We, are, we were talking about, we have another guy we do this show with, AJ, and he's been talking about doing a segment called Is It a Work? where we take on just events in life and we talk about is this real, is this a work, whether it's elections, <laughs> what I, and I, I heard that you're very much into the same thing. Like, <laughs> take a lot of this shit sounds like a work yeah I got a shirt from Collard Elbow a few years ago it was, which is Al Snow's t-shirt company and, and Rod sent it to me like the Rod Hicks who, who sends me the picture of Sue every year I'll be looking for it this year <laughs> and, uh, he, he sent me a shirt that said life's to work and I'm like man that, that shirt ever man I've worn it out <laughs> yeah I Everything's a work. To some degree, everything's a damn work. You know, I, yeah. I say that too. The more, like, not to get, like, into, like, politics or anything, but, like, just looking at, like, uh, President Trump, like, the election and stuff like that, and his time in WWE, and you can see, like, oh, some of this is a fucking character. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's like, right. I'm yeah, like, that's just, yeah. That's another thing. Right. Some get it, some don't. When you're saying, like, Again, not to get real political, but yeah, you can see some of this is the character. He came from reality TV, you know right. what I'm saying? That's, yeah. it, it is what it is. So, just, And that's not know, knocking the guy or putting him over. Make more serious. There's, you can see there's some character there, you know? Yes, yes. And like I said, that's I'm not... not yeah. over and I'm not burying him because I'm not going to get that discussion. Same. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. It's just you can see where it's like, oh, and you go to region and you tell a region what they, they want to hear. It's like, oh, this is probably exactly. like, yeah. It's like the guys in the Booking the Territory podcast always say they always promote that things are work. They'll bring it up. Yeah. It seems like a money segment. But that podcast, Mike and. And Doc and Harper, that, you know, I always put Mike Mills over because I love that book in the territory. I got to co-host it some, and I've been a guest on it, you know, uh, and actually done a couple shoot interviews with them. And uh, there's some good ones out there. You mentioned the 605 or and, you know, I, this one here, like you said, you had a couple of my buddies over there, uh, Bob and, and Barry, and now myself, uh, the Malenko guys. I appreciate that, man. And, and I'm a podcast guy. I, all 
always listened, and I eventually, you know, I debated about doing one. I had a couple people approach me. Jeremy was one of finally, he, he stepped up before someone else did, and, and I was like, yeah, let's do it then. And it's turned out pretty good so far, but we're, we're going to reestablish some goals for next year. We're going to try to do another 12 to 18 months and see what happens. And, and I'm always looking to do podcasts because I listen to so many different ones, and, and I love them, especially done tastefully or not so tastefully or professionally or the most unprofessional. You know, it doesn't matter. I, I just like getting it out there that people are can, can enjoy this, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially about wrestling that they may not know about. Times do change, and the network's up now, and you got YouTube, and you go watch, and there's, and I, I just said this in my podcast that we recorded, it came out this morning, actually. Uh, we recorded it Sunday. Right now is really a good time to be a professional wrestling fan because there's so much you can choose from. From everything WWE has, to, you know, AEW now, so you still got your impact or not. But this NWA thing, if you like studio wrestling, I have been loving that on these last few Tuesdays when I, you know, whatever the segments were, eight of those. And I'm looking, I know the tapings were taking place this past year. I'm looking, I love that stuff. I'm a fan. And I know New Japan's we start some stuff, but I find stuff on YouTube. Sometimes I'll just pick out someone and say, okay, today is going to be Nick Bockwick with that, especially in the winter. And, you know, it's cold, you don't want to go out, it gets dark early. I just say, I'm gonna watch all Nick Nick Bockwinkle that day, or all Jerry Lawler matches, or mm. you know tag matches. It's such a good time though to be, you know, with everything that is happening in the world of professional wrestling. I think there's a lot of variety out there. Don't think you have to be an AEW guy or a WWE guy or girl. You know what? You can watch and, and, and just watch some fucking wrestling and enjoy it for what it is. You don't have to just because you like one doesn't mean you have to hate the other. Hundred percent. You know what? Don't watch that. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Watch what you like because there's a lot more to choose from now. Exactly. With the way it should be. By one other thing, I want to just uh, say kind of more of a comment and maybe just get some feedback. We've been doing this podcast and we've had maybe 14, 15 interviews. I don't know. Maybe maybe not even that far. I would put about like 10 or so. so. Okay. And we've had a lot of young guys that are doing well and everybody gets us good interviews. But we have to say, and Joe, you can help me out with this, Barry, you... Bob Cook and Pat Rose we talked to a little bit last week too. There's something about you oh, older older territory guys. Like you are just the best at telling stories. Whatever reason it is, you know, it just seems like you guys just really are very good at the art of storytelling. Well thank you. I take that as a huge compliment and I take that because I was a student of the game and I'm a student of life. I observe a lot. I, I've always enjoyed watching people. Probably been ever one to, to back down from asking a question like I just say, you know, whatever people like probably know just ask, you know, and you learn. And then, then also because I was around a lot of great people to watch and learn from, you know, to travel with, to be in a car with, to, to spend, you know, weeks upon weeks on a Japanese tour bus with, you know. And, and fortunately for me, I've been to Australia and South Africa and England and all over Canada and all over the United States. I mean, it's just in Japan, of course, but I'm just saying it's just, uh, I've been really blessed that way. And, and someone, I use this on my, on my again, on Pimmy Pay Me on a book promo, on my Twitter, I'll send this out sometimes, someone will review, and they, they put Bobby Blaze, a natural storyteller. And it was another author from Houston that sent me to, sent me to review, and I was like, man, that's really cool. So I kind of use that sometimes. I take it as a great compliment, but it's because I got to be around so many great people and learn from them, watch, observe, and listen, and, and you know, it is what it is. It's 
I'm just I'm a good storyteller, I guess, if that's what you say or another one that tells me, so I'll take it. Thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. One last thing we, uh, I want to do before we'll get to promote again and wrap stuff up. Uh, one last question. We had had down here that, you know, something we never actually asked, even though it's kind of a simple question, is winning a belt. And uh, even though obviously everything, as you know, you talk about being at work, but is there a certain pride in winning a championship, you know, whether it's your first championship or that a company would pick that belt for you? If you take pride in what you do, absolutely, because, you know, whether like, say we'll go up the Smoky Mountain region when I work for that territory, you know, and, and I think great, uh, Jim Cornette has one of the greatest minds in professional wrestling, you know, I think Kevin Sullivan's another one's got a great mind, but where I work for Jim, that's the thing, whether it be the junior heavyweight title or let's just go up the Smoky Mountain heavyweight title, yeah, yeah, I've had titles here in Florida or little regional things, this and that, but, but it wasn't on a national or bigger scene, if you will, so the way I looked at it was, this company, they, they took enough they put trust in you, you know. They're, you're trying to make money together. You're working on an angle that's going to last next amount of weeks or months or maybe a year or what have you, and you're going to be the champion. So, yeah, I, I think I did, and I think many people have. I take pride in the fact that they're putting, they have enough confidence, you you know, the booking, uh, the booker or the booking crew or the office, you know, they're giving you that nudge like, you know, hey, here's the deal, man. This is where we want to go with this. And you have the responsibility to carry that title, you know what I'm saying? Some people, you know, don't need the title to get over. And then when you have that title, if you don't know how to carry yourself, it just buries you. But, but when you can, when you take pride in it and you carry yourself as a champion for that region or that territory, again, whether it be the TV title or, or a tag title, yeah, I think with them associated that, uh, yeah, take pride in it, but also realize that the company has taken, you know, interest in you, not just, you know, from, from your tryout match to your, to being booked right here to, to, you know, being a, you know, a TV star or whatever. They're like putting their stock in you to, to, to carry that title in their territory. And obviously it's to make money and, you know, to carry out one of the main character lines and also main TV lines and main uh, house show. You know, you're the one they're drawing money off of. So you, you damn sure better take pride that, you know, hey, this is what I've got to do for the next six, eight weeks, months, whatever it may be. And, um, yeah, I think it's very important. I, I, I think, you know, sometimes titles do get watered down or what have you, but I think any time that one of the major people in a influence in professional wrestling that's, that's been a champion, those people have taken pride. They understand what it means to be on top. They worked hard to get there, and they deserve that spot, uh, whether the fans like them or hate them, because that's, that's another good thing. You have your bellows, your heels, or your baby face of good guys. That's, you know, that's, they're out there drawing money from your angles, you know? So, yeah, I think so. Bobby, uh, before I let you go, you're really a master at promoting too, but is there anything else you want to promote or get the word out again about stuff you're working on or doing? Hit me up at Twitter. I'm at BobbyBlaze744. I love hearing from everyone. If you're a first-time listener or haven't read my book, I encourage you to go out and get one. Two people yesterday left me some really nice uh, little things on my Twitter account and really meant a lot. But yeah, I, I'll get back to you on those, especially concerning my book. I do help some younger guys out from time to time. I want to see guys, you know, just watch them and give them advice. Maybe I'll watch their matches or what have you. But yeah, you know, I've got the YouTube channel with Tex and Jeremy and that's at uh, tinyrl.com 
slash BBBB video, but basically you just go to YouTube and type in a Bobby Blaze podcast and you'll find some video on there. Really some good stuff, I think, because they do such a good job of me telling the stories with Jeremy asking the questions and blending in and text doing the graphics. Yeah, so hit us up there or again, just get one of my books and if you have one, I appreciate you getting it and I appreciate reviews and man, I don't know when this is going to drop, but uh, sometime in the next few weeks, it's going to be a whole new year. So, hey, you know what? Just like I said on my podcast, if you're listening to this podcast right now, the Working Fans Podcast, then Happy New Year to you. And we know you can listen to other podcasts, but thanks for taking the time to listen to this one, man. I mean, hey. I love podcasts myself, and I'll be listening. So, <laughs> oh, goddamn, Bobby, you're the man. <laughs> thank you very much, Bobby. No, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm, I, you know, hey, thank you all very, very much. Appreciate it. And, and Bobby, I'm going to mess. Fucking greetings and happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate y'all just having me on. Oh, no, man, we appreciate you being on. Thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks for coming on again. It was this is the interview I was least worried about because it was like we were calling a friend was calling us and we were just catching up with him and. I want to thank you for that very much. Very cool. I'm glad I made you feel that way. So that's the way it should be, man. That's all good. All good. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Bobby. Have a nice Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 